Well, thank you. Good morning, Gospel Community Church. Open your Bible to 2 Timothy 3.16. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. And let me just say, it is a privilege to join you this morning. My family, good friends with the Hurt family, they are dear to us. Uh, we love the Hurt family. We know Reese. Reese is good friends with my wife. And let me just say that if uh, Pastor Ben pastors you guys half as well as he has raised his kids, and he is a good pastor. Reese is a good friend to my wife, Alicia. I'm joined by my family here. Uh, my wife, Alicia, as you can see on the screen, and then we have a newborn baby, Roman Matthew. He is five weeks old, so I'm a brand new dad. And it is, it is just a privilege being a dad. I can't even put it into words uh, how much I love that little guy. And, and one of the biggest privileges is it. One of the biggest blessings of being a dad is it's just reminded me and given me a, a deeper understanding of my need for the Lord. Um, because this, it just the, considering the weight and the, the responsibility of having that little, that little boy uh, relying on me to, to raise him and to help him know his God. And I'm so thankful that he is my son and it is our prayer that one day he would be God's son. Um, and so raising Roman, being a new dad, has made me really thankful for a book like Second Timothy. Because 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul, who considered himself the spiritual father of Timothy. So throughout the book, he calls Timothy his spiritual son. And Paul loved Timothy so much that this, this is the last book that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. We have in, um, in chapter 4, we know that he knew he was about to be executed. He knew that his life he, it could end any day. And so what he did with his last few days is he wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy. And of all the things that he could have said, he chose to say what is in this book. And so what I want to share with you this morning is the most important verse from 2 Timothy. The most important verse from what Paul decided to say to his spiritual son, the last words that he had to say to his spiritual son. So let's turn to 2 Timothy 3.16, and I'll read through verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now this morning, we are only going to focus on the first half of verse 16. We're just going to focus on the first seven words. All scripture is breathed out by God. And the reason we're going to just focus on those seven words is because if we believe those words, if we understand what these words mean, if we understand what it means for all scripture to be breathed out by God, it will change how we read every other word in this book. If we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God, then this will not just be like any other book. It will be a book be, that will be valuable to us beyond measure. And so as we are at church this morning, I, I loved the scripture reading. We are a church here that reads the Bible. We're a church that sings the Bible. When Pastor Ben was praying, he was praying the Bible. Now we are gathered hearing the preached word. And then this week, we're going to disperse and we're going to obey the word. So why is it that we are a church that reads the Bible, sings the Bible, prays the Bible, preaches the Bible, obeys the Bible? It's just a book. We don't do that for any other book. 
And so what we're going to see this morning is because we, the reason we do that is because this is not any other book. This is God-breathed scripture. And so my hope for us this morning is that we will come away with a renewed sense of appreciation to our God who has spoken. And that it will evoke in us a desire to not just read our Bibles out of duty, but to read our Bibles out of delight. Because if we know our Bible, and if we love our Bible, and if we obey our Bible, that is how we know and we love and obey the one who wrote it. So the, the way we're going to do that is we're going to consider what does Paul mean when he says that all scripture is breathed out by God? What does that mean? And then we're going to, after we explore what it means for a little bit, we're going to consider the implications that it has for us on how we read the rest of our Bibles. So if I could put it in a sentence, what Paul means when he says all scripture is breathed out by God. He, what he is saying is that every word is God's word. Every word is God's word. All scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, every word is God's word. Now, that phrase, is breathed out by God, is kind of a, a funny phrase. What is, what is Paul saying? So what he's, Paul's talking about scripture. He's talking about the origin of scripture or how scripture came to be. Now, scripture is, is made up of words. And you hear the words that I'm saying because I am moving my mouth and I'm moving my tongue. But there's more to it that comes with, with the creation of words. And so one essential component that we don't often think about for you to be able to hear the words that I'm saying is that breath or wind is going over my vocal cords, is vibrating my vocal cords. And that is why you can hear the words that I'm saying, the words that I'm creating with my mouth, I could not create them without breath. If you don't believe me, turn to your neighbor. Let's have a little participation in church. Turn to your neighbor and try to say something without breath coming out of your mouth. Go ahead. See if you can do it. Can't do it, huh? So that what, we're, what we're saying is that breath is an essential component to creating words. And so when Paul, the point that Paul is making is your breath comes from, in, from in, deep inside of you. Breath comes from your very core. And so these words are not just written by men about God. These are God's very words. God breathed them out. Just like before God created the universe, there was nothing. And then God spoke, God breathed, and the universe was created. So it is with Scripture. The Scriptures did not exist and then God spoke, God breathed, and the scriptures came to be through the apostles and the prophets. Now, some of your translations might use the word inspired. It might say that all scripture is inspired by God. And that's an important word. That's a, that's a key word. This is a crucial verse for where we get the doctrine of inspiration. And I looked up the gospel community statement of faith, and here at this church, we believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture. Those are some big words. Let me say that again. The verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture. And so by, by verbal, we mean that the very words are inspired by God. It's not just the concepts. It's not just the ideas. It's not just a paragraph or two. The very words are inspired by God. The very words are breathed out by God. So that's what verbal means. And then plenary means full. 
or all. It's not just some of the words that are inspired by God. All of the words are inspired by God. Every word in the Old Testament, every word in the New Testament is inspired by God. Now, I want to be careful when we use the word inspire because our culture uses that term uh, in two very different ways. And so one way that our culture uses the word inspire is just imagine um, I, am, I, I really need to work out. I've been working hard at work, and I, I just haven't gotten the gym in a, in a while. I put on the COVID-20 or the COVID-30. I really need to get in the gym, but I come home from work, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just tired. I, I, it's just so much easier for me to plop down on my couch and to watch TV. Now, what would I need, what do I need in order to get off the couch and into the gym? We would say that I need some inspiration. I need to be inspired to get in the gym. That is a, that's the most common way that our culture uses the word inspire. But hear me when I say that is not what we mean when we say that the scriptures are inspired by God. There's another way that our culture uses the word inspire. And so the word spire is the root word, and that's Latin for breath. And so we find that root word in a lot of our words. For example, the word respiration is the action of breathing. The word perspire is when your skin breathes. The word conspire is when a, a group of people is huddled together and they're breathing, whispering quietly. And the word expire, you stop breathing. And so that, that word, that root word breath is what we mean when we talk about the scriptures being inspired by God. And here's why the difference is important. If we were just talking about the word inspire as if the scriptures were motivated by God, then what we would be saying is that a bunch of men had some thoughts, some religious ideas, had some thoughts about God, and then God just motivated them to write. God just gave them a spiritual nudge to write what they were thinking. And that is not what we mean when we say that the scriptures are inspired by God. We mean that God actually breathed these words, that God actually spoke these words. These are not just words about God. What you hold in your hand is the very word of God. Now, granted, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Paul wrote these words to Timothy, and there's over 40 different authors that we have that we know of in the scriptures. But it's not like, and it's not like Paul was a, a robot. It's not like he had no say in what to what he was writing down. But God worked with the apostles and the prophets, and they came together. And what they wrote was the words that the what they wanted to write, and the very words that God wanted them to write. So a good verse to kind of illustrate that. Is 2 Peter 1, uh, 20, verses 21, where Peter says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yes, Paul wrote 2 Timothy. Matthew wrote Matthew. Isaiah wrote Isaiah. But every word is God's word. These are not just words about God. This is the very word of God. And the reason why I am reiterating that is because we often refer to this as the word of God. I heard it multiple times throughout the service. 
the, where Pastor Ben kept talking about the word, the hope that we find in the word. But I'm afraid that we use that title so much that it can become just a title to us. This is just, we call this the, the Bible or the word of God. It's just another name that we use for this book. But can we pause and can we marvel at the fact that this is the very word of God? The same God who has the power to create the universe by merely speaking, that word, that word that creates galaxies, that word that creates universes, that word that created you, is the very word that is contained for us, that is written down in this book. This is the word of the living God. This is the word of God. And so, as we consider that this is God-breathed scripture. This is not like any other book. This is not like a blog. This is not like your journal entries. Your journal entries are not inspired. Uh, good books that you read are not inspired by God. Only the scriptures are breathed out by God. So as we consider how unique, how valuable, what a treasure it is for God to have spoken, let us consider a few implications that that has for the rest of the Bible. If, God, if all scripture is God-breathed, then that changes how we read every other word. So the first implication that I want us to consider is that because every word of scripture is God's word, that means every word is essential. Every word is essential. Now most of our words, we, we as human, we speak a lot of words, but most of our words are non-essential. On average, people speak about 7,000 words a day. 7,000 words, that's a lot of words. And if I, if I had to guess, you probably can't remember most of the words that you spoke yesterday. Most of the words you spoke yesterday were non-essential. Now, some of the words that we speak are essential. I will never forget the words when I, the day I said, I do, to Alicia. Those words are, were essential. But most of the words that I've spoken are not essential. And I'm afraid that sometimes we can think of the Bible as sometimes having some essential words and other words being not so essential. So I think we can all agree that John 3.16 is essential. We can all agree that Romans is essential. But do we agree that Leviticus is essential? That every word of Leviticus is breathed out by God? Do we believe that Nahum is essential? Do we, do we know that Nahum is a book in the Bible? Nahum? Do we believe that those words are also breathed out by God? Do we believe that the book of Philemon is every word, is God's word? Do we read that and do we read it as if God is speaking to us? Now I get it. The Bible is a big book. It's the biggest book that most of us own. It's the biggest book that most of us would even ever dare to open to begin to try to read. But let me try to make the Bible a little smaller for you. The Bible is the revelation of the infinite God. That's why God has spoken. God has spoken to reveal himself. And if God is infinite, then God has an infinite amount of things he could have revealed about himself. If God wanted to reveal everything about himself, the Bible would never end. But God has chose a finite thing a finite amount of things to reveal about himself and recorded it for us in his word. And to make it even shorter, just consider the fact that God is revealing himself 
through the span of redemptive history, which takes thousands of years to record. I mean, if you just think about how many words you could use to describe the history of your morning this morning, you could use a lot of words to explain everything that happened to you this morning or this week or this month. And that's just one person. But God has taken a finite amount of words to reveal his infinite nature and to record for us what we need to know about all of redemptive history, answering the most important questions that we would have in the universe. Every word is God's word, and every word is essential. And so I would encourage you, if you're here this morning and and you have never read the whole Bible, or if it's been years since you've read the whole Old Testament, I would encourage you that every word is essential, that every word is God's word. I would encourage you to make it a goal to read the Bible in a year or two years. There's plans to make to read the Bible in four years, however long it takes you. I would encourage you to make it a life goal to read every word of God-breathed scripture and then make it your goal to study every word that he has said for the rest of your life because he has revealed a very finite thing, amount of words that he wants us to know about himself, about us, about the world, about creation. These were, every word is essential because every word is God's word. Second implication that I want us to consider is that because every word of scripture is God's word, Every word is grace. Every word is grace. Now the words that God has spoken are essential for us. They're essential for us to read and to know and to believe and to obey. But it was not essential for God to speak these words. God would have been perfectly just creating the universe and just letting us be and leaving us in the dark, not knowing who created us or why we're here or what will happen to us when we die. God would have been perfectly just creating the universe and then never giving us his word. Now we can know some things about God apart from the Bible. We can know that God exists and our conscience bears witness that that the God who exists is holy. But most of the, the most important things in the universe, the most important questions, we would not have answers to if God had not spoken. But because God has spoken, we know that there is one God, creator supreme. That is grace. Because God has spoken, we know that the God who created the universe wants to know you, wants to have a personal relationship with you. The fact that we know that is because God has spoken, and that is grace. Because God has spoken, we know why there's so much pain and suffering in this world. We know that because God has spoken about sin, and that is grace. Because God has spoken, we know what will happen to us when we die. Ever since the world, ever since man was created, they've been trying to figure out what will happen to them when they die. That's one of the most important questions in the universe. And most, any people who have not read the Bible, they are left to their own guess or their own man-made religion. But because God has spoken, we have an authoritative 
we know exactly what will happen to us when we die. And that is grace. And because God has spoken, we know the name of Jesus. Can you imagine going your whole life never hearing the name of Jesus, the, na- the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, the name, the only name by whom we can go to the Father, the name that reveals the glory of God? We know the name of Jesus because God has spoken, and that is grace. There's a reason why every single letter in the New Testament, when Paul writes, he begins with grace to you. Because every single word that follows is grace. God has spoken. What a gift. What a treasure. Every word is essential, but every word is grace. Every word is grace. Number three, because God has spoken, every word is trustworthy. Every word is trustworthy. I'm really thankful for the new feature on my iPhone that uh, filters through spam callers so that I can just let the unknown number go to to voicemail because I get multiple calls like that per day. But sometimes they'll leave a voicemail and and I'll be interested enough uh, to listen to it. And it seems like every time they call me, they either have some really bad news or some really good news. The really bad news is something like, uh, please call me back as soon as you can. Your credit card has been stolen. Or something crazy like that. Other, uh, the good news is, um, good news, if you call me back, uh, your, credit, your student loans have been paid off. Um, or I got one just last night that it was very generic, but it was basically like, if you want me to apply the discount to your account, please call me back. <clears throat> and so those voicemails, the messages that they have, they're, they're important messages. If my credit card was really stolen, I would want to know that. If my student loans could be paid off just like that, I would want to know that. But I don't even bother calling those people back. Why do I not call them back? Because I don't trust the messenger. Because the messenger is not trustworthy. Now the Bible has a lot of really bad news. And the Bible has a lot of really good news. But these are the, the, the good news and the bad news in the Bible is not just spoken by anyone. It is from the most trustworthy source that you could imagine. These words were spoken by the the one who never lies. These words were spoken by the God of the universe. So let's just consider some of the really bad news. Just the book of Romans, just the first three chapters of Romans has some really bad news. The first few chapters of Romans says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 2 says that it's not the hearers of the word who are justified, but the doers of the law who are righteous before God. Then chapter 3 says that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. No one is righteous, not even one. Chapter 6 says the wages of sin is death. That's some really bad news. And the one who spoke that news is trustworthy. But the Bible is also full of some really good news. Psalm 25 says that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you believe those words? 
I don't know what you're going through this morning, but do you believe that the pain and the suffering, that if that, that the one who is in control of what is happening to you is trustworthy, and that he has said that all of his paths are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who trust him? Lamentations 3 says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Do you believe those words? God says those words. God said those words. Matthew 6 says that we do not need to be anxious about anything. Anything. Not just most things. Anything. We don't need to be anxious about anything. How many of us can say that we were not anxious about anything just this week? We don't need to be anxious about anything. And God said those words. God also said that, yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And whoever believes that Jesus is Lord and confesses with their mouth that God raised him from the dead will be saved. I messed that verse up, but you know the truth that God said. God said that if you believe in his son, you will be saved. And you will dwell with him for all of eternity. It was read this morning, but Revelation 21 says that the new creation, the new universe, will have no more pain. And no more crying. No more tears. And that we will dwell with our creator forever and ever. God said those words. Do you believe those words? Do you believe those words? Those words are trustworthy. I know that this book has some things that are hard to believe. I come across things every, all, all the time. I'm like, really? Is that really true? Is it really true? But God said these words. God said these words. So because God has spoken, every word is essential. Every word is grace. Every word is trustworthy. We could go on and on. Every word is authoritative. Every word is true. But I want to, if, if, if we have considered what this is, what we hold in our hands, we will have a renewed desire to read the Bible and to know our Bibles. So I want to end today with a few ideas for how to read God's breathed scripture. Like I said, this book is not like any other book. Therefore, we don't read it like it's any other book. And if you could come out of here really excited to read your Bible and um, maybe you start tomorrow uh, before you go to work in Matthew 1, beginning in the New Testament. That's a natural place to start. So how about you turn there? Let's, let's practice a little bit. Because you turn to Matthew 1 and you realize it's a genealogy. And all those good feelings, all that, every, all that excitement you had to read the Bible, it's gone. And you remember instantly why the Bible is so hard to read. Because you're asking yourself, what do I, I can't even pronounce these names. What, how, why do I need to know who Abimadab is? But let's remember, God is an infinite God. He could have revealed an infinite amount of things about himself. But he chose a finite amount of things to reveal. And so let's, let's practice reading this genealogy and believing that every word is essential. And so here's my first suggestion for how to read God-breathed scripture. Number one, 
We need to read the scriptures conversationally. Now, let me pause, back up a little bit and just say, certainly all of you have, um, you know, been in a conversation where you're talking and you're, you're pouring your heart out, you're saying things that are really important, and uh, the pers- you're, you're waiting for the person to respond, and then when they respond, they either talk completely change the subject, or they reveal that they weren't listening to a word you said. They didn't have any idea what you said. That, that's happened to me, me before, and that's frustrating. And so let's just remember that if these are God's words, if God has spoken these words to us, how often do we read the Bible and then close it and then pray, and our prayer has nothing to do with what we just read? And so let, let's consider if God is speaking to us, when, we, when he is speaking to us, when we read the Bible, we need to speak back to him. Let's, if God is speaking to us, let's respond in conversation. And what we, what we call that response is prayer. And I used to think of prayer as, as kind of just like leaving a, a message or leaving a voicemail. Where I would say, all right, dear God, I, I have some things to say. I have some needs. Um, I know you can hear me. Um, but here's what I need. Okay, I kind of ran out of things to say. Goodbye. And then I would, I would believe that he would eventually get back to me. But I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting a response. I was acting like it was a voicemail. But if God is speaking to us, if this is God-breathed scripture, it's not was breathed out by God. It is breathed out by God. This is the living word of our living God. He is speaking to us today through his word. And let's, therefore, we need to respond to him through prayer. So let's practice with this genealogy. Let's and let's just, we, sh- we should always begin our scripture reading with prayer. We should, Lord, I, I need you. I believe that every word is essential. Please open my eyes to see, to behold the wondrous things from your law, even in this genealogy. I believe that these words are essential. And then when you pray that prayer, the same spirit that inspired these words, the same spirit that breathed these words out, is the same spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit who dwells in you will illuminate the words, why he spoke these words. So let's read. So verse 2, we see that uh, Abraham is in this genealogy. We might think to ourselves, Abraham. Abraham was a pretty messed up guy. Abraham was an idol worshiper. Abraham wasn't always best to his wife. He didn't always treat his wife well. And you might think to yourself, well, I am not always best husband to my wife. I'm not always the best spouse. I struggle with idol, with idolatry even. And then you keep reading and you, and you get to Rahab and you see, well, Rahab, she was a prostitute. Rahab was sexually broken. You think, well, well I'm sexually broken. And you think, huh, I wonder I wonder why Rahab, why God thought it was important to put Rahab in this genealogy. And then you keep reading and you get to David. David, well, he was a man after God's own heart. I could never be like him. And then you remember, well, David was pretty messed up too. <laughs> David wasn't the best husband or the best father at times. David was sexually broken. And you, you keep reading and you realize that this genealogy is full of a bunch of sinners. Full of a bunch of sinners like you and me. And then you get to the end, 
verse 17 and you read, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And here's the key. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, to the Christ, 14 generations. So what this genealogy is saying is that these sinners, these sexually broken, bad husband, bad wife, sexually broken sinners are part of Jesus' family. God gave them the grace to be a part of Jesus' family. And you're praying about it and you're wondering, God, what, what are you revealing to me through this genealogy? And then you remember that God has made a way for you to be a part of God's family. And you realize that, yes, I am a sexually broken, broken spouse, you name it, but I, Mitch, can be a part of God's family. I can be adopted into the family of the living God. Christ can be my brother. God can be my father. You all can be my brothers and sisters too. And you start praising God because of a genealogy. Every word is essential. Don't skip even the genealogies. Praise the Lord that we can be a part of the family of God. Just like these broken people. You and I can be sons and daughters of the living God. So we need to read the scriptures conversationally. Number two, we need to read the scriptures every day, even when we don't feel like it. We need to read the scriptures every day, even when we don't feel like it. Now, the Bible often uh, refers to itself as our daily bread. Jesus says that just in Matthew 4, just a few chapters later. He's talking about the scriptures as our daily bread. And so it's making an analogy between our, what the Bible is as our spiritual food is what bread or food is to our physical food. It provides our physical needs. Now, if you think about it, most people don't need to be, have their arm twisted to eat. They don't need to be reminded that they're hungry. They feel hunger, and then they eat, and they eat until they're full, and then they stop eating. And as Americans, we have the blessing to, to mostly be able to eat whenever we want, whenever we feel like it, and maybe even eat more than we should. Now, when the Bible compares itself as our spiritual food, one thing that's really important to understand is that our desire for spiritual food is the opposite of how we recognize our desire for physical food. So, Like I said, when you are hungry for physical food, you feel it. You feel it. And then you eat, and then you're full. You're satisfied. You don't want anymore. Your desire for spiritual food is the opposite. This world is full of people who have never read the Bible. They are starving for the word of God, and they don't know it. They don't feel it. They don't desire it. But then there's some people who have read the, read the word over and over every day. They've read the Bible, the whole Bible, cover to cover, dozens of times in their life, and they can't get enough of it. They are starving for it. And the reason that is, is because the less we read the Bible, the less we will desire it. But the more we read it, we will never read it and feel, okay, I'm full, I don't need it anymore. The more we read it, the more we taste and see that God is good, the more that we taste what this word is revealing, the more we will desire it. So if you're here today and you know you should read your Bible, you know that you should read it every day, but you just don't desire to, you just can't 
get up, that you just can't build the habit, let me encourage you that that is when you need to read the Bible the most. Because when you read the Bible, even when you don't desire to, God, and you pray, God, I know I should read your word. I know every word is essential. I know every word is grace. I know every word is trustworthy. And you pray, Lord, give me a desire for your word. And then you read it in faith consistently. God will give you a desire to know, and you will come away tasting and seeing, surely these are the words of life. Surely this, this word is feeding my soul. Surely I didn't even know how starving I was. So I would encourage you to read the Bible every day, even if you don't feel like it, especially if you don't feel like it. Because if you don't feel like it, that means that you are the most starving, <laughs> and you don't even know it. And then how many people, how many of our friends, how many of our family members are starving, are, are spiritually atrophying, and they don't even know it? Feed them the word. Get the word in front of them. The word is our source of life. And that leads me to my last point. We need to read the, the scriptures conversationally. We need to read the scriptures every day, even when we don't feel like it. And we need to read the Bible looking for Jesus on every page. And if you hear everything I've said this morning and don't hear this point, that would be bad. <laughs> because if you read the Bible, if you think, okay, this, this, this word, this is really important. I need to read the Bible. I need to read it. It's essential. Well, our, our twisted, sinful nature will want to read the Bible with a, or selfishly. We'll want to read it for ourselves. We'll want to read it because it will help us. If we go to the scriptures thinking about it's about us, thinking it's all about us, thinking it's our personal help manual, then we will take out of it the only thing that can help us, which is Jesus. And so the scriptures are not about you. The scriptures are not about me. The scriptures are all about Jesus. And so if we think back to 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, let us ask, why did God speak? Why did God write a book? And the answer is to reveal his son. Every word is about Jesus. Every word is revealing the beauty and the glory of his son, Jesus. And so if we look, if we read the Bible as thinking about us, well, it'll either fill us with pride or it'll crush us with despair. But if we read the Bible looking for Jesus on every page, it will lead us to worship. Every word is about Jesus. So I've, I've said a lot of words this morning. I'm well on my way to 7,000 for the day. <laughs> Here are a few that I want you to remember. All scripture is breathed out by God. Every word is God's word. This is not just a book about God. This is God's word. God wrote this book. If you believe that God wrote these words, you will believe that every word is essential. And every word is grace. Every word is trustworthy. And if you believe those words, if you believe that every word is trustworthy, every word is grace, every word is essential, then you will have a desire, you will know that you need to read this book. But reading this book is not easy. And the devil hates for you to read this book. There's lots of things in your life that will come up to give you an idea, a better idea than reading this book. 
We, when we need to read the Bible, we need to read it conversationally. We need to read it <clears throat> every day, even when we don't feel like it. And we need to read it looking for Jesus on every page. Because that is why God has spoken. When we read it looking for Jesus on every page, that is how we know our God. That is how we love our God. That is how we obey our God. It's through his word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for Gospel Community Church. I thank you for the word that you have given us. Lord, this morning we have sung your word, we have read your word, we have prayed your word, we have heard your word preached. Lord, let us be a church that goes out this week and obeys your word. Let us be a church that loves your word. Let us be a church that obeys your word. For Lord, if we know your word and if we love your word and if we obey your word, we will know and love and obey you. Lord, you have spoken. What a gift. Every word is great. Thank you for revealing to us the beauty and the glory of Jesus through your word. Can we thank our brother, Mitch, for bringing the word this morning? So helpful. So helpful. So as you may know, if you've been coming here any amount of weeks, we've put some action points. So I have some for you. So grab your pens still. Uh, these aren't going to be on the screen, though. So you're going to have to just remember them. So here's just some action steps to, uh, to kind of go along even with what Mitch said. Gave, he gave us wonderful things to be thinking about. So the first action step is this. Memorize 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Especially when you're not longing for his word and you need to be reminded what it's useful for. Like first of all, it brings us to Jesus, but it's also useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Memorize that. Remind yourselves of the beauty of God's word. Uh, here's the second thing. Read through the Bible. Read through the Bible. If it's a year, if it's two years, if it's four years, I don't care. But read through the entire scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. Not just, it doesn't say the New Testament scriptures are God-breathed. It's all useful for us. It's all God-breathed. So read through the Bible. And we're going we're gonna to do this eventually as a church. We're gonna, I, I don't have any plans yet for this except for the fact that we are going to be reading through the Bible as a church together. Such a, a helpful thing. But here's the third thing, because you want to keep this in mind as you're reading through the Bible. Consider your motives. Consider your motives. Are you reading God's word because you think somehow by doing it, God will love you more? Or you're checking the box off and you're feeling good about doing it? Check your motives. We don't go to God's word so that we feel good about what we've done. We go to God's word so that we feel good about who God is, right? Like we want to be amazed of who God is. The, the problem we get in our heads is this checklist mentality of if I just read the Bible, I can check it off and I'm good. But no, we, we hear from God's word. And, and he said it even uh, himself. Like if we're not in it every day, then we crave it less and less. But the more we are in it, the more we crave it, which is so such a good thought, such a good thing to keep in mind. And so check your motives. We don't read it to earn God's favor. We, we read it to be in the word, to encourage us, to remind us of who God is. But also it brings us encouragement, right? Even what we read through, like all his promises are yes in Christ. Uh, we, and if we are not reading those words, we are filling our minds with the promises of this world. So check your motives. Consider your motives. And then here's the last step. 
pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. One of the most helpful ways that have skyrocketed my prayer life is when I'm reading back what I, I'm praying back what I've just read. Uh, there's a book by Don Whitney. If you were here for the last prayer gathering, uh, we handed out a free copy to those who were here uh, called Praying the Bible. Uh, if you'd like a copy, uh, I have a few. And first come, first serve, let me know. I'd love to get you that simple book that just helps just remind ourselves, pray the Bible. Even as Mitch said, as you're reading through and you, in those genealogies and you see the sinfulness of man and yet they were considered to be part of Christ's bloodline, it's just amazing to me. And so pray the Bible. So, Mitch, thank you again, brother. Uh, so helpful, so good. God's word is amazing, is it not? Amazing. And so when we remember what that message that he just preached, when we, that is going through our minds, then we open up God's word, not out of duty, but out of delight because of the beauty that it brings. So let me pray once more. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray to dismiss us this morning. Father, it is so easy to look at your word and to make it a checklist and check it off and, and feel good about reading through. But, Lord, the beauty of reading through your Bible is not uh, so that we accomplish something. It's so that we can see you. <laughs> Lord, that we can hear from you and the spirit that wrote and spoke the words of God is indwelling in us. And Lord, your spirit will open our eyes to your word. We are not going to know it perfectly. We're going to spend the rest of our lives in amazement of your word. We're going to read things over and over again in the years to come. And we're not going to see things that we had seen the year before. And we're going to see new things the next year because your word is infinite, Lord. You're, it is just amazing what you do for us. And so I pray for our people. God, would you give us a heart for the word of God. Lord, that it would be a delight when we get up in the morning or before we lay our heads down at night, a delight to open your word. God, protect us from looking at it from a duty that we need to perform, Lord. Give us joy, Lord. There is so much joy in your word because that's where you, that's where we read of you and see who you are. So, Lord, thank you for the encouragement this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Read your Bibles this week.